You're listening to WCAT Radio, your home for authentic Catholic programming. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to True Wealth. I'm Dave Basconi, and here with me is Maria Smith. Maria, how are you on this beautiful fall day? Doing well, thank you. Yes, it is beautiful weather. It's quite nippy in the morning, but it does warm up towards the afternoon. It's just beautiful weather, and I love seeing the trees and the leaves on the ground. Yeah, well, I, I like seeing the leaves on the trees because when they get on the ground, that's work. Um, it is, but it's pretty, too. It really is. It's yeah, on the oh, ground. Yeah. It is, yeah. Uh, matter of fact, um, when you walk through them, they hear the rustling. Uh, uh, and uh, even with the horses, I uh, come down at night, it's pitch black if the moon's not out. And you hear them walking through the leaves, the rustling and everything. I have to tell you, it's, um, it's just one of those things that um, it's not a big deal, but it's one of those things you remember. It's fall. Um, you hear them all uh, moving around. Uh, it's dark. It's and uh, until your eyes get adjusted a little bit, you really can't even see where they are. But you hear the rustling, and that's only a, a certain time of the year. And uh, just one more reminder of what fall is all about. It's the beauty of the leaves, uh, the the smell of uh, people lighting fires at night. I can come out now and smell wood fires. Um, and um, it's just, like I said, all the little things that make fall the fall. Yes, exactly. Yes, I love fall. It is my most favorite season. Yes. Although I like uh, them all. <laughs> yes, but it's okay to second in order. We, we all do that. But, yeah, uh, a, a so, shorter winter would be nice. Well, yeah, yeah. Sometimes we do get a short winter. Uh, you know, on average, I guess it's three months like all the other seasons. But some years it's quite long. Some years it's, it's shorter. It's amazing how that works. But it all averages out. Um, yeah. So what's going on? Uh, uh, bring us up to date. Okay, yes. This is going to be our last show for True Wealth, our show finale. Um, I'm the one who made that decision because I have a lot going on right now with several things in my life and it's just become too much to to have this other thing although I've loved it so much to do the radio show with Dave it, this is our 77th show so we've had a year and a half of just about every week and our conversations have gotten longer and it's just been great it's been inspiring it's been really motivating sometimes I come that I'm really busy or I'm tired and these conversations really pick me up, lift me up, and I'm like, wow, that was great. We really got into some good discussions. So it is with sadness that I say that this is our last show, but Dave is probably going to go on to do something bigger and better. Well, yeah, that's we've, uh, we, we touched on that a little bit. Uh, still unclear, but, um, you know, you, you can't stop. What we, if true wealth, uh, ends today, uh, then uh, that doesn't mean that we stop doing great things. Um, they just would be different. And, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about it. And 
you may hear Maria and I uh, again in the future in a little bit different format. And um, but we'll see what happens. Uh, it's too early, but uh, yeah, Maria, it's been great. Uh, like you said, um, you kind of uh, maybe feeling a little bit um, tired and overwhelmed, and you get into a really good conversation, and uh, the next thing you know, the adrenaline's flowing, and you're just re-energized. Um, it 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 works so well, and I would encourage anyone to take that. Um, Take that approach. Use that recipe because if something is getting you down, go do something that you enjoy. And uh, if having great conversation with a friend is one of the things that works, then by all means, go find that friend. Yes, I agree with you wholeheartedly. That is exactly how it is. Really, I've had some some days. And you know, I've changed the schedule around sometimes too. It's been just so difficult. And yet, when we've talked, it's just been so stimulating. I just feel like, oh, that was so good. That's just like, like a pick-me-up, you know, like a, a shot of caffeine, a shot of natural, grace-filled caffeine to really lift you up out of the doldrums, out of all the, all the busyness of life, all the things that, you know, with a home and a family that you have to do that are never-ending. Oh, absolutely. And, um, I, again, uh, I learned that a long time ago. Um, I, I don't know if I read it or heard it, or, but I tried it uh, many, many years ago. That If whatever you're doing is causing you to be sad or just lifeless, go do something you enjoy. Uh, take a break. Get away from it. And you will come back refreshed, uh, a whole new mindset, and sometimes the problems um, uh, that had you down – uh, you, you get this, the answer. The answer just pops into your head when you get out of the office and take a walk or something. You come back, well, that was simple. Why didn't I see that before? It was because there was just too much noise in your head, and you couldn't hear that little whisper of what the solution was, what the, what the right thing to do was just waiting to be heard, but you just had to tone down the noise. And um, so, and I think that's a problem for a lot of people because we don't. We just keep trying to grind it out when really we should do just the opposite. Walk away, come back refreshed after doing something you like, enjoy. Uh, could be go have a cup of coffee, go find your, go throw a stick with your dog. Uh, that's got to be enjoyable and refreshing and uh, you'll be a whole new person when you get back. Yeah. That's excellent. That's exactly what you said is really exactly the remedy if something is too difficult for you is to step back from it in any way that you can. Take a walk, um, go into another room and do some other activity that you enjoy. That's really the way. If you focus too much on a certain, and this could be a work, but this could also be a problem. This could be a situation your life is currently in. If you focus too much on it, it's actually detrimental to solving it. You focus on it to the extent that you can, like how should I deal with the situation, this problem, this work um, issue. You focus on it and then you let it go. And that is when you will be able to clearly, and oftentimes it's like an inspiration. It's like feeling like, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, that's how I should do it. And this, I bet, has happened to you even when you're doing, when you're doing a work project, when you're working on something. It's like 
you know how some people say in the shower or while I was eating, then I thought of how to fix it, then I thought of the solution? Well, that's what it is. But if you focus on something so much exclusively, you really can't get the answer. You have to step back. Yeah, for sure. And, and I have to tell you, and I've mentioned it many times, the barn is the place, uh, you know, I was saying that go have a cup of coffee or go play with a dog or whatever. Uh, most people don't have a barn to go to. But when I come down here with the horses, it, 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 it's instant. As soon as you get close enough that you can smell the horse barn. And, and that's not a bad smell. People are probably taking that wrong. No, I love the smell of a horse barn. The horses, the hay, you know, the leather, the, everything that goes on. Um, and the sights and the sounds, you hear them, you'll hear the knickers before you, you walk in. That's the first thing that you know. When they hear you, they start to respond. And it's just an instant, uh, just uh, charge of energy. It's, it's amazing. And by the time I walk in, you know, you go over and you kind of greet each one of them individually, and you're just a whole different person. And by the way, what you were saying uh, about you can't find a um, uh, solution if you're too close to it. I, I, there's something to that because I read that in every the solution uh, to every problem is hidden in the problem. The solution is hidden in the problem. It's just a matter of separating things enough, uh, getting to the core and then the solution will start to show itself. But it's contained within the problem. And, um, you know, as an engineer, uh, I, I, I've seen that work many times. Um, as someone who has to do things, work on their own, um, that definitely is true. So uh, just keep that in mind. Uh, the solution is right there. It's just hidden. And it takes that clean, clear mind to find it. And, um, but anyhow, um, I hope people uh, take us up on that and um, try it out. They'll be, uh, they'll be glad they did. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so now should we go on to the topic for this um, week? Yeah. yeah. Hey, I would like to uh, just give a shout out to the church um, before we hit the main topic. Uh, and this just happened. Um, Sunday, uh, walking out of the mass, I just walked by this young family, um, and you can tell, very Catholic, very Catholic. Um, uh, the kids were quite young. I think one was a baby and two little, two little toddlers. Uh, I don't know the exact age range of a toddler, but I would say the girls were maybe three and four or something like that. But anyhow, very beautiful young family. And uh, I could tell the backpacks had religious um, uh, things on them, you know, and you can just tell because I've seen them before at Mass. But the thought that hit me, and I've known this, but it just hit me yesterday, is the best ally that parents have today in raising their kids is the church. Think about that. Because the church is the moral uh, guideline for not only the parents, but for also the kids. The church 
has already worked out all the moral dilemmas that your kids are going to be asking about or growing into. And you just have to know that they're there, um, that the church offers you this just fantastic help to raise your kids. It's not um, in books somewhere. Uh, I mean, it's good to go to family and, and all of that and get their experience. But in my mind, the church is the best ally uh, that a family, the parents can have in raising their kids. Uh, so that's just a thought. Uh, I'm sure you've thought of that. Uh, you've probably even lived it. So um, what's your take on that? Absolutely. I have lived it, and I agree with you 1,000%. Somebody told me that a few months ago. I said, oh, I asked them a question, and they said, 1,000%. I go, that's the way I'm going to say about things that are really, really important to me. Yes. The, our Holy Mother Church, Holy Mother Church yes. on Earth, is absolutely the best ally, the best friend, the best counselor, the best go-to um, advisor, expert for raising a family and for forming your own soul, for forming your own mind, your soul, your heart, in the right way, in the way that will bring the greatest benefit to yourself and to your loved ones. That's basically our, our mother, our mother, the church, is there, as well as our mother, Immaculate Mary, the Blessed Mother. But our mother, the church, is there, and it has figured these things out from the very beginning. It knows what makes for a healthy person, a healthy family, a healthy community, a healthy society. Yeah, yeah, and, and like I said, if you're trying to come up with answers on your own to all those questions, and the culture is constantly changing, um, I think that's impossible. I don't think parents, with all the things they have to do in addition to raising their, their children, can be that kind, can have that kind of knowledge or wisdom or, uh, you know, whatever, to, to deal with that. Uh, to, like I said, as your kids, uh, when they're young, you can kind of mold them. But when they get older, they're going to start to ask some questions. And their friends and the culture is going to be an influence that you're going to be competing against. And uh, by having um, the church there uh, that they've already been exposed to, uh, first of all, that gives you confidence. Um, you don't have to work. You don't have to come up with this on your own. It's already been tried and true. Uh, it's timeless. And uh, just recognizing that, I think, would really give parents the comfort that they need to take on the challenging task of raising kids today. I mean, it's a lot harder than when I was raising, or my wife and I were raising our two boys about 40 years ago. It's, all, it's gotten a lot harder since then. It has, in certain ways, it's gotten harder to raise children in an emotional way, a spiritual way, but it's gotten much easier to raise them in a physical way and in an intellectual way. In a physical way because children used to get sick so often and die. My husband has done a lot of genealogy. When you look at the genealogy charts, it shows that women had five kids, two survived to adulthood, seven kids, three survived, you know, four, one survived. That, that's not the case nowadays. There are the vast number of children 
survive to adulthood, whereas this has not happened before. So physically, it's easier. Intellectually, before to get good education for your children, I mean, families were struggling. They couldn't even let their children go to school. I mean, that's why you had the summer's office, because summer was for working families who had farms so that their kids could help with the farms. And I think school would start like in November, because then after the harvest. So now you do have the you have the intellectual and the physical, but you let go. The emotional and the emotional is something that's really I don't know how much emotional emotional nurturing children even got in an average family. And the reason I say that is because it's really hard to love children unconditionally. And I don't I think it's hard now, but it was hard before for different reasons. So um, emotionally, but spiritually is the one. Spiritually, it used to be easier to raise children. The ones that did arrive at adulthood, or even the little ones who died at various ages from various diseases, it was easier to instill deep spirituality because the whole culture, the whole world was conducive to it. In the world we live in now, spirituality is very difficult. The the materialism, the distractions, the noise are just way over the top. So, so much that it's hard to really teach, to show, to live a deep spirituality. You need quiet and you need calm, which is exactly what you get when you go to the barn. Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. You're going a little further back in time, um, uh, but you're right. Um, today, uh, the uh, kids are getting bigger and stronger. Uh, they've—I uh, played high school football, and when I look at the high school teams today, I think the high school teams today could beat some of the college teams uh, back when uh, 50 years ago. I mean, that's how much bigger the the, the guys yeah. are playing. It's it yeah. just—they got them up by a hundred pounds. It, it's amazing. And um, but so you're right. Uh, that part of it has gotten easier if you go back far enough. But uh, I, I have to tell you that um, if you don't have uh, a young person that is emotionally and spiritually sound, uh, that can bring on some big problems. Um, um, that 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 can bring on uh, a lot of heartache. I, I think a lot of parents are dealing with that, they're, they're not happy with the way their kids are maybe leading their young lives, young adult lives. Um, so every age has its uh, challenges, but, um, you know, I just have to say the church has always been there for the parents who choose to use it, and it's just such an invaluable resource. Absolutely. And I think that there is a number that are going back to the church, young people who have, who have just felt this emptiness within. It's like you can have everything that the world says will make you happy and you realize, I'm not happy, I'm not fulfilled, because only God, only God can re- truly fulfill us in every single way. Yes, that, um, that's an excellent point. Um, and a matter of fact, that kind of ties into what uh, I had mentioned or what we had talked about uh, that we were going to discuss today, the mercy and justice, uh, your last comment about 
happiness and, and how we define it and all. So um, unless you have another comment or two about the the church and our children, uh, maybe we could kind of segue over into the mercy and justice. We can definitely segue into it because that is what our church has. That those are the most the most important is justice and mercy because justice is giving everybody their due and mercy is showing generosity or I've heard it put that mercy is love in action. Yes, yeah. Uh, you know, the, um, the, the ways those two terms are defined is very interesting. And um, I, uh, I, I brought it up uh, when we were talking a few weeks ago and we finally got around to it. I'm glad we did. But uh, something kind of uh, got me thinking in slightly different terms. I, I've always understood it pretty much the way you said it. But um, let me just tell you what happened, and then you can weigh in. Uh, I saw something on TV. It was, it was a woman, and her comment was, she said, God's mercy comes over us. And when she said that, she brought her hands together uh, with her palms down like priest over the gifts on the altar. Uh, I didn't catch everything she said. I only caught the last part, but it was enough to kind of get me thinking about it. And I started visualizing that when she brought her hands together from her, from the side and with the palms down, uh, it was almost like a dome. Uh, in other words, like a, a, a shelter over us. And um, then I started thinking, okay, there's a connection with with that. And, and, and justice, mercy and justice. And, and for me, it kind of goes like this. Um, uh, we, under this dome of God's mercy, uh, we choose through free will to accept God or to turn away from him, to turn to him or away from him. And God's grace and love and everything he wants to give us it's always there for us. It's always available, but it is us that chooses whether to accept it or reject it. Would you agree with that as a starting point, that um, it's us that makes that decision? 1,000%. Okay. I like that number, 1,000. If I get 980, I'm going to, I'm going to say, well, that's not <laughs> I didn't get it. I didn't hit a home run. Okay. Now, here's the thing. We're... When we turn to God, we are under this dome. Again, use your, this visual of God's mercy. And it doesn't mean that life is easy. Life can be very difficult, and there could be a lot of suffering. But with God's mercy, we still have this peace, in, this inner peace. There's joy in our lives in this inner peace when we're under this dome of mercy. Now, when we talk about justice, I think what happens for me to better understand justice is when we choose through our own free will to walk away from God, in other words, walk out from that dome, that shelter, we walk into God's justice. Now, what does that mean? It, it does not mean that God sweeps us away in a storm or we're struck by lightning. Um, no, I really think 
that when we walk away from God's mercy into his justice, that inner peace is gone. And it's replaced by other things, such as fear or anxiety or despair. And here's why I think it works that way. The culture tells us we're doing a great job. And you kind of, this is why it kind of got me onto this topic when you mentioned about um, you know, all the things that people think they need to make them happy, and they're not. Uh, you can be living in the right zip code. You can drive the right car, wear the right clothes, right schools, go to the right places on vacation. However, if you have a fear of losing these things, um, then you're not at peace. Uh, you live in fear, or there's anxiety in your life. And you may not be free to say the things you actually feel because of other people, how they would uh, respond to you. So at that point, because you have turned away from God's mercy and starting to adapt the culture and what the culture preaches, you've replaced God with the culture, you have now entered into his justice. Does that... That's the new thinking that uh, I apply to those two terms, in addition to the ones that you mentioned earlier. Does that make any sense to you? Do I get a thousand on that, or maybe a four seventy, <laughs> or where does it? Where do I rank on that one? I don't know what to give you because I really like it. It's the first time I've ever heard it put that way, and I am definitely intrigued. But I'd have to spend some time thinking about it. I think you're right. I really do. I think you got it. But I just never heard it put that way, that if we walk out of God's light or out of the dome, as you said, we're walking away from his mercy and we're walking into his justice. I have never heard it put that way. I think that's really great. Well, once again, this hit me with just that simple gesture of that woman, woman bringing her hands together again, and, and she said, under God's right. It, it started the whole process. And um, let me give you another example, uh, because we've talked about this on the show, that kind of, that loosely fits this description. And that's the prodigal son, okay? Um, we all know the, the, the story about the second son who was living with his family, his father, um, a good life, comfortable life, and we'll assume that he was living in peace. So he was under the mercy. He was living in the mercy phase. But what did he do? He chose through his own free will to walk away from his family, his father. He asked for his inheritance, his, his share. What does he do? Goes and squanders it. And pretty soon he's broke, he's hungry, he's eating with the pigs, He's miserable, totally miserable. What he did in that case, he walked away from mercy right into justice. Now, the story also says that this son rethought his situation and decided to go back and ask for forgiveness. And we know the father saw him coming from a distance, and he went out to embrace his son he accept, accepted him back, which means we can go from, if we turn away from God's mercy, 
and we walk into his justice, we can come back to his mercy. We can turn away from the culture at that point, turn back to God, and we come under that dome of mercy again because the peace comes back, the joy comes back. And I think the prodigal son is, is really tells us that in, in a lot of ways. Um, okay, what do you think about that? Yeah, yeah, I think you've really hit the nail right on the head. Bingo. Okay. That's good. But um, what, um, so I, I really believe sometimes that we need to um, understand that God's justice is not this mighty hand coming out of the, uh, the clouds to squish us. He's really just um, letting us be ourselves, use our free will, and his justice comes through this, like I said, the, the, the loss of his peace, the loss of joy. And um, if we can start to see it that way, maybe, then um, I think it won't be so scary because our thoughts of justice sometimes is that we're being punished. You know, if you see the movie where the bad guy gets knocked over the cliff, and he falls 300 feet to his death, you know, maybe some people think that's justice. Or the monster gets, goes into a building, and next thing you know, there's, all the dynamite goes off, and there's a fire, fireball, the monster got justice. It doesn't work. Justice is punishment, and it hurts. And um, as a result, people might fear God when God's justice may just be a lot different, and we can get back to his mercy just by recognizing where we are. Exactly. I think that you have put it very, very well. First of all, I did want to also comment on the image. That is a beautiful image that you said that the woman did with her hands covering God's mercy comes over us and covers up us. I love that image. And then everything that you said about the justice and the mercy is right. And people do have, so many of us have, this notion that God is like a policeman who's going to deliver that justice and he's watching every single move to nab us. And that's not who God is. It's exactly, I really believe it's exactly what, as you put it, that God's justice is there if we freely choose to leave his mercy. And his mercy is his love. Absolutely. And again, his love, his grace, his uh, everything that is good that he wants for us, it's always available. He never holds it back. It is us that makes that, that, that choice. And we can, we can go either way. If we're living in the realm of justice, we can certainly go to his mercy. And uh, you read about it all the time, people that talk about how miserable they were. And uh, now they, through whatever process, uh, they're in the church uh, and they have a beautiful relationship with God and uh, they'll never go back to, to, to the life they were living because they, that peace is, and joy is just so wonderful that uh, they can't describe it, but they just know what they have. And um, 
it's, it's like I said, it, it's getting people to understand and to take that first step. And with, as you were saying earlier, the noise. There's just too much noise for people to ever to get to that point. That walk they need to take, that uh, quiet place they need to find, that's where you start to realize um, what's going on here. And it goes back to maybe what I was saying earlier. There's the solution within the problem. The solution in your problem of justice is mercy. If you could just find that, uh, you would know what to do. You would know um, the next step, and uh, maybe you need some help. Go find a friend who can uh, help, help you get there. But it's there. It's just a matter of um, recognizing it. It's, to me, it's as simple as that. Yeah. There's a story of a man who um, named Roy Schumann. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Oh, my goodness. I would say look up his story. It's on YouTube. It's on the Internet. He was a Jewish person who converted to Catholicism, and his conversion was amazing. I don't remember the precise details now. It was a while since I last read it, but I read it a couple times, and both times I was like overblown. It's like, this is amazing. This is totally impressive. He's still alive now. He's in his late 60s. And so one of the things I do remember, though, which is really exactly what you're saying right now, which goes so well with it, he said for so many years, he was feeling, he was missing something. He was feeling unwanted and unloved when love was right there by his side within him all the time. The solution to his problem of feeling this lack, this lack of love, this lack of, of, of life, of, of, of being fully alive was within him. And that's what he said. The love that he was looking for, that he thought he didn't have, it was right there all the time. And this is the exact same thing for each and every human being, bar none. Each one of us was created in the image and likeness of God. And God is within each and every one of us waiting for us to turn to him instead of looking outward, outside of the dome, outside of our own sphere, our own person, looking for happiness in this world, looking for fulfillment in any materialistic way, honor, money, pleasure, whatever it is, instead of looking within and saying, and seeing that we have the image. And what is this image that each one of us has within? Instead of actually looking within finding God, and then looking without. Because, of course, looking within, you can become so introspective and, and that you, you start to brood over things. No, that's not what looking within means. Looking within means realizing that you have that divine spark within you that God has placed in each and every human being, and then you want to find the creator of that spark, the origin of that spark, that is within you. Where does the spark within you, the spark of royalty, of dignity, that is the likeness of His Royal Highness, the King of Kings, where does the spark come from? Who is it? And that's where our search begins. It, be it goes within us, but that's only the very beginning. Then we have to look outwards 
not at this. We have to look above this world. We don't look outwards to the world, to the possessions and the money and the, and the achievements and the goals. We look outwards above this world. Yes, yeah, well put. Um, exactly right. And, and I think um, um, that, that account is, has happened so many times, countless times, um, uh, of people finding uh, that path. Um, and it's amazing because uh, if you listen to some of the recent ones, these were pretty uh, hardcore atheists. And um, but something happened, and in their attempt to prove they were right, they fell into this a little bit of truth, and they that led them to do a, a deeper search. And before they knew it, that um, lack of peace that was in their life started to fade, and there was a calm and a feeling that they had never had before that they couldn't explain. They just knew they loved it and wanted more of it. And the deeper they got into um, Catholic teaching and the deeper, the closer they got to God, um, that feeling just grew with it um, and the peace and the joy. It was just, and, and then after a while, it's unmistakable. You can see what happens. You do this. And this happens. And if it's good when you do this, then you want to do more of that. And uh, their stories, they all start from different places, but they end up in the same place. And uh, it's been done so many times. Um, so if anyone is at that pivot point, and that's what it really needs to be, you need to pivot. Don't keep going in the same direction. Make a pivot and go in the other direction. If you're headed, if you're well into the culture, stop, turn around, and um, look at what um, other people, people that might, maybe you admire, that you find to be not affected by the culture, that might be living through hard times but still have that uh, peace and joy in their life, uh, talk to them because they probably know something you don't at that point, and they can probably be very helpful in, help in getting you um, moving in the right direction. Yeah, what you said, to stop and pivot. But I think that that is a really difficult step. I believe that's the first step. But that's a really, really tough one. And it requires a virtue that is really very difficult. Oh, it's uh, probably the hardest thing you you can do, one of the hardest things, because it's basically saying uh, whatever you're doing, how, how you're living your life, stop it, uh, or at least change it to a, a lot, not, not a little, change it a lot. And we all get comfortable in uh, living our lives in a certain way. I mean, after all, that's why we are doing it. We're comfortable and um, it's meeting some of our needs. But in doing so, uh, maybe it's meeting our exterior needs, but on an interior basis, it's destroying everything. So, um, yeah, it's a really hard thing to do, but um, hopefully 
anyone listening, um, give it give it a try. Uh, you got you certainly have nothing to lose and all, so much to gain. Well, there's one thing that I would say that makes it very very difficult. It's that if you turn around, stop doing what you're doing and pivot. Turn around from what you're doing. Then you are you're admitting failure. You're admitting, oh, I was on the wrong road. I was doing something wrong. And that is something very difficult for us to do, to admit that we're making a mistake, that we were on the wrong road. This is why it's so difficult to turn to God because it really requires one essential virtue. Plus, then you have other essential virtues that are also required. But the first step requires humility. That's it. Yeah, you have to humble yourself and say, okay, my bad. Uh, yeah, yes. I, knew, I knew where you were headed. Uh, yeah, yes. that's tough. That, that, that's tough. Um, and like I said, if you're surrounded by people who would uh, respond in a very negative way to you saying that or admitting that, uh, I think it makes it doubly tough. I mean, it can be in your own family. It can be in your little circle of friends. It can be at work. It can be anybody. But um, there's a lot to stand up to. I I know in reading some of the uh, people that did convert to Catholicism, oh, they lost family over it. They just thought um, that was the worst thing they could do, couldn't talk them out of it, so therefore they pretty much shunned them. Um, And uh, they had a strained relationship after that. But the person that was telling the story about the conversion, they, they were still happy that they did it, that they were still convinced that it was the absolute right thing to do. Um, so, but uh, it does sometimes come with um, some losses along the way. Yeah, I think it often does. I really do. I think it comes with very great losses. Even if you don't, even if it doesn't happen the way you described it, which does happen, I know, for a lot of converts, that they do lose their family. They lose their churches. They lose everything that's really important to them. But even if you're not a convert, even if you are on the path, and you've been, or let's say you are, are a convert, and you have been for 10 or 15 years, or you've always been a faithful Catholic, God is always going to put us to this one simple test. Do you love me, or do you love your possessions more? Do you love me, or do you love your occupation more? Do you love me, or do you love your children, your spouse, your family more. Nothing and nobody can be above the love of God. And this is where I think even a lot of faithful Christians, Catholics, get bogged down. We, you know, this happens with fathers too, but I, I, see, I tend to see it happening even more with mothers. And I've read someplace, it's called child worship. We really put our children too much in the center. God should be in the center, and only God. And whatever it is, whether it's possessions, money, fame, or children, or family, or friends, or community, or church, God really puts this very difficult lesson in everybody's life, not just, I mean, it it seems more, more easy to see, to view, when it's a convert, because they do lose when it's convert from Protestantism to Catholicism or anything, they really do lose a lot. And it's immediate and you can actually see it. You can see the family that are, are shunning them. 
But this happens even with Catholics. It happens all the time because God is always asking us. It's not a question that he asks us once when we're 15, 20, or 30, or 40, or whatever, and then that's it. God says, okay, I take you at your word. You say you love me most of all. I believe it. No, it's something that happens throughout our lives, and we can easily get attached to whatever new thing it is, whether it's a new family, our new children, you know, before we were all for God, but then we get this beautiful child and all of a sudden we don't think about God so much or our spouse or our boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is. And it's God always saying, I am number one. You know, it's the first commandment. There shall be no other God. You shall adore nothing else. And all these good things, and family is a very, very good thing. Yes, I think you're exactly right. Yeah, I think... uh, sometimes um, your children become the center of attention. Uh, maybe I think a lot more today than what I recall growing up, although yes. I had a pretty small I would agree with you totally. A lot more yeah. today. A lot more today. Yeah. I mean, really, yeah. you know, I just, you know, I'm still, my youngest is 15, so I'm still there. And it really seems, and I've seen this because my oldest is 27, so it's 27 years. And really and truly, Dave, what pe- it seems like the parents are serving the children from the time they yep. are born until college, if not more. Whereas, whereas, if you look back in history, when children were born, at two or three years old, they were starting to serve the family. They were going out <laughs> in the fields, even at four, five, and six. I mean, you know, they were helping their parents. And now we just totally flipped it. And again, I'm going to go back to a point I made before, too. Unconditional love, whether it's for spouses, from one one spouse to another in a spousal relationship or in a family relationship or in a friend relationship, unconditional love, which is sacred love, holy love, is very, very, very hard to find. In the past, when people had large families, and, you know, we look at it now, they say, oh, in the past, they loved their families more. They had so many children. You had the aunts and uncles, and you had all these cousins. Yes, but, and I'm not saying every single time, but much, much of the time, the reason that parents had a lot of children is because the more children they had, the more wealth their family would have, the more sons, the more to carry on the the line of work that the father did. That increased the family's wealth. The more girls, that increased the family's wealth. There was a lot of hard work to be done on the farms and on many homes and families. The more children you had, the more you could do. Then when, when it got to that children were not such an asset, people started having less children. And when they had less children, all of a sudden they had more money, they had more possessions, so they start giving the children more than they should. And the children become the center of attention. So you see, they went from one extreme, which is wrong, to another extreme. Whereas the only place, again, we're right here, the only place is in the center, with God in the center. And then you can love your children well, no matter if you're, li- if you're barely surviving and you have a lot of children because you need their help, you know, for the farm or with the chores and stuff, but still you see them as a gift from God and you love them unconditionally. That, that kind of love is really very rare and it's really saintly love. And it's something we should 
all strive. We're all called to strive for it. But it is a very difficult. We have to really get out of ourselves and really love with God's love because human love is tainted. Human love is, is more carnal, is more materialistic. Holy love, God is God's yeah. love. Yeah, human love comes with conditions usually, you know. Um, it's not, um, as you say, unconditional. It comes with conditions. Um, and, and it goes back to how we kind of started saying that the best ally parents have in raising children is the church because the church would remind you not to put your children in the center. Uh, it would remind you of the first commandment. And uh, so that right away is getting things off to the proper start. Um, yeah, it's trust me, I, I fall into the old camp, the one you were describing uh, when there was a lot of work and all of that. Um, um, I grew up in that environment, and I, I, I've always considered it to be a healthy environment. Uh, uh, and compared to what I see today, about, I would say, 60 years later, um, it's it's totally flipped. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think I've used over the years the term God-child um, or child-God, I should say. Um, it's, the, it's the position, the pedestal that the child has been put on um, these days, and it's, it's a false one because you're giving your, your son or daughter a false, um, you, you, you're not telling them the truth about themselves uh, when they go out into the world. Not everyone is going to worship you like mom and dad. Not everyone is going to keep um, upon you all these uh, things that you want. Um, and that could be a rude awakening for some kids if they've been treated that way and they think that's just the way the world works. Uh, and I think sometimes they have a really hard time with that, and they get into uh, uh, they, they they get into trouble because uh, life isn't working out the way they thought. Whereas um, if you grow up in the uh, where you are in the proper place, God is first, and you have your uh, place in the family, um, you're going to enter the world as an adult with the right attitude, and uh, there's going to be that balance there. And even you yourself will have God first as a young person. And once you do that, there's your guide. And it goes right back to the church being the proper guide for everyone, whether you're the parents, the child, the grandparents, it doesn't matter. The, the wisdom is there. It's been there. And it comes from the best source possible, Jesus Christ and the apostles. It can't get any better than that. And um, we just just need to use it uh, and not let things slip too far one way or the other, you know? Yeah, yeah. We have the greatest wisdom with the Catholic Church because we have the Holy Bible, which the Catholic Church put all the books in the Bible together. I believe that was in the 4th century. I'm not positive, but it was right in the early centuries. We have the Bible, which the Protestants also do, and the Jews also have the Old Testament. Okay. But we have the Bible, and we have the Catholic Church, Holy Mother Church. Together, together, we need both together. You need the, you need 
the two, the two wings, faith and well, reason, yeah. the Bible and the church, justice and mercy, things come in pairs, in pairs and in trios, trinities. Those come. You can't just have the Bible. The Bible can only take you so far. That's why our Lord Jesus established his church, which he said would prevail until the end of time. The gates of hell would not prevail against his church. The church will prevail until the end of time. Our Lord Jesus is with us. He's with us actually in the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist. He's with us in body, blood, soul, and divinity, and he's with us in his church. And so we need them both. We need the Bible and we need the church. And with them, we cannot, as, as you said, we cannot go wrong. But if we leave out one or the other, error can very easily come in. And if we leave out both, then forget it. We're out. We're out. We're out in the cold. Yeah. And um, the, the other way is the, um, when you say the, the Bible and the church, that really it's the um, uh, sacred scripture, uh, sacred tradition, because as you yes. said, the Bible wasn't written for, for a few centuries there. Um, so it, it wasn't was, collected. It wasn't collected because the books were there, you know, from Matthew, yeah. Mark, Luke, and John. And right, Paul. The books were there. The letters were there. But there were other books and other letters which the Catholic Church did not include. Right, right. But the um, but, but the Gospels weren't right, written right away either. They were they were decades later. So the church, right. the early church, was uh, working off of uh, what the apostles knew and how the, they understood what Jesus uh, left them and how to continue forward with it. And so that's why it makes so much sense that the the uh, the church, the Catholic Church, is based on sacred scripture, a sacred tradition, and the magisterium, which is a very important point, uh, which is the magisterium is the teaching authority of the church, uh, the ability to, you know, settle, settle disputes uh, and, and to be the final authority about yes. what, what was, uh, uh, how to interpret scripture, and how to put it all together with tradition and things like that. It, it makes perfect sense. And uh, that, that's why I think the Catholic Church, uh, going right back to Jesus Christ and the apostles, you're going right back to the source. And um, uh, that, that's why the church uh, needs to um, resist the, the changes that the culture insists that it makes because the culture... Uh, is um, has its own agenda, and it's not the agenda that God uh, gave the apostles to carry on. It was um, it's it's something um, far removed from it. So the church should hold to uh, what it knows, and it is timeless, and therefore we don't need to change uh, the, the uh, teachings that we know to be the the moral correct path. Uh, to heaven. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. The the church's teaching, the magisterium, when it rules on things, it is very reasonable. It is very logical, and I yep. know that nowadays many people 
see it as unfair and unjust as a list of no's, no, no, you can't do this, you can't do that, as if it's taken away people's liberty, people's freedom and fun, but that's not it at all. It really isn't. And if people would delve into it honestly and really look into what the Catholic Church teaches and why, they would find a beauty there. It's not an easy beauty. It's not an easy way. It's not an easy way. It is the hard way. And Jesus himself told us that the way is hard. It's narrow. It's, it's tough going. Not that many people want to go. Not because it's not true. It is true. But it's also hard. And people don't want it. But it is so worth it. Think about whatever we want to do in life. Things that are hard. Things that are worth it are usually quite hard. The more worthy something is, the harder it is. And we admire and we applaud people who do things that are very hard. We admire and applaud people who run a 26-mile marathon. We applaud and admire people who study in spite of very difficult odds and come out on top. Or people who are born with handicaps and in spite of that, they come out and they do things that are amazing. We applaud these people as heroic. Well, the, the way of holiness is the heroic way, the uppermost, the preeminent heroic way. It is, it is the hardest way and it is the most noble, and it is the most fulfilling, and it's so completely worth any suffering, any trial, any difficulty. Yep, and all you have to do is look at the cross, uh, because um, he told us uh, what it was going to be like, and then he, uh, he went all the way to the cross. Jesus uh, didn't just uh, say it and then... Um, not do it, he did it all the way. And that's the other thing that you just have to admire about. I mean, uh, that any discussion that gets into who was Jesus Christ, uh, you have to bring up that part that uh, how many people do you know that would take what he believed to the cross? And, uh, and especially not just to the cross, but all the torture and the cruelty and even the emotional, the mocking, the uh, being abandoned. Uh, he went through just about every human emotion, um, every physical pain possible, but he never, ever um, went back on what he said. He did it to show us that what I'm saying is true, and I'm willing to die for it. And um, uh, you just, when, when you stop and think about it, when you find that quiet place, and you're trying to put your life back in order, and you go, why should I follow Catholic teaching? Well, it's because it goes right back to the man who did everything, and, and he did it for all of us. And once you understand that, then anything we face is going to be minor compared to what I think he did for, for, for all of mankind. Yeah, yeah. And what holds people back is, I believe, essentially fear of suffering. We're yeah. all afraid of suffering. We don't want to suffer. But I'm going to ask this question. 
people who are afraid of suffering and you've tried to avoid suffering, you've tried to run away from suffering, you've tried to deny or just go in a different direction from what you know you should do, but it would require too much suffering and sacrifice. The question I want to ask is, in avoiding, sac- in avoiding suffering, did you, what did you come a- across? Did you find life free, easy, happy? Or did you find life to be more of a suffering? Hmm. So, um, in, in other words, by giving in, by and avoiding the work, the hard part, um, you found more of uh, the problem. Is that, I think, what you're saying? That is what I'm trying to say. Let me see if I can say it a little bit more clearly. If you turn away from a cross, from a suffering, you are going to head into something that is harder because the cross, well, it's the cross, the suffering that our Lord wants to give you at this moment is to teach you a lesson. And if you refuse to learn that lesson because you don't want to suffer, you don't want the hard work, you don't want the pain, and you turn around, and actually, this, I, mean, I just got the image of um, somebody who did try to do that in the Bible in the Old Testament. Can you, do you know who I'm thinking of? Um, no, there's... Uh, the one, the one no. whose, whose name starts with a J, who God said, go and do this to the, to the, to the you know, go and preach um, repentance to this place. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not. And he tried to hide. He went on a boat. And um, he tried to avoid that suffering, that pain, that task that he did not like. Jonah. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, yeah, Jonah. When you yeah. said the boat, uh, okay, yep. Jonah. Yeah, yeah um, and, and that's only one situation. It's over and yeah. over again. If you don't accept the life that God wants you to give, which is going to involve suffering, and you resist and rebel against it, well, of course, we have the prime example of Lucifer. He rebelled against what he thought was painful. He rebelled against what he believed that God wanted him to do, that he thought it was beneath him. He rebelled. And look at him now. Oh yeah, no, that's um, you know the, the, the hell. Um, he, he created a place for himself. His kingdom is hell. Exactly, exactly. So if you, if a person tries to avoid suffering, they run into normally. And I mean, you can think of examples, exceptions to this. And yet, if you really look at each exception carefully, if you really knew what was going on in the souls of these people, I think that people, I think that you would, you would change your, your assessment because there is nothing anybody can do to turn away from God and have true happiness. You just can't do it. It doesn't equate. With God is fulfillment and true and eternal happiness. Without him is eternal hell. Yeah, I mean, it, it goes back to that mercy and justice thing. The um, you know uh, that uh, when you're in the justice part, um, you're you're not going to be at peace. Um, you may be, you may look good to the culture, but somewhere along the way, the peace is or the um, uh, the material things uh, they're temporary. 
and if they start to uh, go by the wayside, um, you're going to find yourself in a place that is going to be a it's going to be awful, and um, that's the justice that comes uh, with uh, the choice of uh, not putting God first. Uh, again, his mercy uh, is always there, and you can always go back to it, but um, it, in the long run, it's, things, have to, things are going to happen a certain way. They just, to me, they have to, because we were designed... Everything was designed to work a certain way, and if you go against the design, um, that's, you get bad things happen. Good things happen when you work within the design, um, and bad things happen when you try to avoid it or work without uh, outside of the design. Exactly. Yep. Um, Maria, we've uh, how, how are we doing on time? I've uh, kind of got lost in the discussion here, and uh, um, I, I did want to talk about uh, those two things, but I also want to make sure that we have enough time for anything else that you may want to talk about. Um. I think that I think we've covered justice and mercy very, very well. And we know, I guess I could just mention divine mercy, which is what our Lord is really trying to get across to everybody in our modern times with St. Faustina and the image of divine mercy, Jesus, I trust in you. Mercy is greater than justice. God's justice is great. God is just, but his mercy is even more, especially during this time when he longs for all of us to turn back to him or to continue on and to love him always more and more. So, and I guess the a really important point is that it does not matter, and this has been said so many times by so many people, but it bears repeating. It does not matter what you have done or what you've neglected to do that you should have done. It doesn't matter if you are 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter what you've done or omitted doing. All the mistakes you made, that you committed all the mistakes you made when you didn't do what you were supposed to do, all the failures, it doesn't matter at all because our Lord Jesus is there and he loves you just the way you are and he wants to help you to become better than what you are. Not because he doesn't love you just the way you are, but because he wants the best for you. So this is his mercy. His mercy is forever his mercy is for all ages and his mercy is there all we have to do as we've been saying during this program is turn to it to go back under the dome under his shelter to accept his mercy his mercy is always there our lord jesus never takes away his mercy he can't do that because that is not who he is god is love jesus is love he cannot stop being love. The only way we don't get his mercy, his love, is, like we said during the show, is if we choose by our own free will 
to get out from under that dome, to leave the Lord, or like the prodigal son, to leave our father's home by our own free choice. That's the only way, the only way that we lose God and lose heaven is by our own free choice. Other than that, we can be at any point in our lives and turn back. Jesus is waiting for us. He's actually longing for us. Like somebody who loves, he loves us so, so much. You love somebody so much and you know they're damaging themselves and you are longing for them to come back, but there's nothing you can do because they don't want your help. And we've been in situations like that with people we love. And that's what it is. Jesus loves us so much. He's longing for every one of us to turn to him and to draw closer to him. The ones who are already turned to Jesus, wonderful. But don't stop there. It's a long journey and it doesn't end until you take your final breath. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, that's excellent advice. And the other thing is like the prodigal son, just... uh, I'm sure people are familiar with that parable, but if you're not, read it, and you'll see what you were just saying. Um, People can make all kinds of mistakes. When the son was out squandering his inheritance, the father uh, was still loving him. He was, uh, I'm sure, praying for him and wanting the best for him, but he just had to wait until the son uh, came to his came to uh, his senses and uh, chose to return home. And what happened? The father went out and embraced him and brought him back. And that's exactly the way it works for all of us when it comes to uh, turning back to God. Uh, We're embraced and um, we start a new life. And um, it's well worth it, as you said earlier. It doesn't matter what the suffering is, it's all worth it. Yeah, and it's not that just Jesus just forgives us and he accepts us back. Oh, no, that's just the beginning. He has so much that he wants to share with us, that he wants to give us. So, so much, so many graces, so much joy, so much joy in this world as well as in the next. He wants heaven. He wants his kingdom starts right here and in this world, on this earth. His kingdom, his joys, they start right here. And what is that in the Bible? Um, the kingdom of God is here. It's right here within us. All we have to do is accept him, and he will give us graces that we never ima- imagined. Think about the richest man, the richest king in the world, on earth, who has ever lived during all of human history. What would that king give a child that he loves so, so dearly? Wouldn't he want to give his child everything? Well, yeah, and that's the image um, that we've been given. I've read, uh, it's to think of it in those terms, um, a loving father wanting to give everything that's good to his children for their benefit. And uh, that's us. That's our relationship with God and us. Um, once again, it's uh, uh, the culture can interfere with that process, and it, we see it happening every day. And um, hopefully um, we all find that one little thing or quiet spot or event that gets us thinking 
and uh, because you need that spark. You need to make that one little uh, one degree turn in that pivot. Uh, if you got to go 180 degrees in the pivot, uh, start with one degree. Uh, pretty soon you may find yourself, I've made 10 degrees here, and it's all just from learning more about um, what my problems are and where they're coming from and what the solution is and um, where I should be going. And um, um, that pivot does take time. It can be painful, perhaps a lot of suffering. But once you make it, um, it's worth it. It's just, um, you know, I can't say that enough. Just just make it and uh, do what you have to 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 uh, either through talking to other people, outside reading, whatever works for you, to um, and you'll know you'll know if you're on the right track. You'll feel it. It's not something um, that you can necessarily measure with some kind of a meter. But you'll know. Um, there's a sixth sense about all of this that, um, and, and it's the peace. Uh, what it really is is you're starting to get a, a little taste of peace in your life. And once you get that first taste, you're going to want more of it. And then it'll, you'll be on automatic after that. Yeah, yeah. You are on automatic, but there's still pitfalls and dangers. And the oh, dangers yeah. and pitfalls are that our Lord, our Father, our God wants to give each and every one of us so many wonderful, beautiful graces, this peace that the world cannot take away, this joy. However, if we begin to love his gifts more than the giver, then problems start to arise. So really, even though once we make that decision to, to go on the road, the journey to God, to our Lord, each step of the way we have to be, as St. Paul said, we have to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. There's no end to the gifts that God wants to give each one of us. Amazing, just stupendous gifts, glorious gifts. But if we, if, if we get, if, you know, even the young people who find somebody to love and it's such a beautiful, holy relationship, you cannot start loving your boyfriend or your girlfriend, your fiancé or your husband or wife more than God. You cannot love your children more than God. You cannot love the, the feeling of peace, the feeling of, of this closeness to God more than God. And this is the test. What is the test? God takes away his gift. Are we angry? Are we upset? Are we disillusioned? Are we dismayed? Are we despondent? Oh, I really thought this person loved me. Now this person, it, it was, and he doesn't. Well, did you really think this person was going to fill God's place? Or you really find this wonderful job and something happens. Whatever it is, God has gifts that he gives to us. But if we start loving the gift more than God, then God is going to say, hey, I'm going to take away the gift. I'm going to, and actually, that's what he did to Job. Job had all these wonderful, excellent gifts. He was just doing so well in every way on earth. And God took them all away. God allowed those things to be took, taken away. He made a deal with the devil. He said, yeah, go ahead. Just don't kill him. But do whatever you want to him, his family, his possessions. And Job still said he loved God. He said, God giveth, God taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So 
I guess it was the Lord. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. So Job had the right attitude. Yes, he lost everything. But was everything his in the first place? Didn't it all belong to God? And it was God's grace, God's gift to him? And if it's God's gift, he can take it away. Yes, and he was rewarded by getting double of everything. That's how the story Exactly. Exactly. And that's exactly what God will do. He will not cruelly take away things. No, no. God is a loving, loving God. And he wants to give us so, so much. He wants to give us everything. A share in a kingdom that is beyond wealthy, that is beyond beauty. And it's eternal forever and ever. It, after a trillion years, what is that song, Amazing Grace? After we've been there for a thousand years, we have thousands more to go. It never ends. That's what he wants to share with us. But he wants one thing and one thing only from us. He wants our love. He wants our will. Our will is our love. Our will is our capacity to love. And all we have to do is say, whatever you want, Lord, you have my will. That's the only thing we can give God. We can't give God our money. We can't give God our possessions. We can't give God our talents. Look, look what I did. I got this honor. I got, you know, I got, ten, I got a PhD. What's, what's our Lord going to do with that? What's our, hey, I got a billion dollars. What's our Lord going to do with a billion dollars or a PhD or celebrity? What's he going to do with that? Nothing. But what's he going to do with our will? He is going to love us. He is going to give us everything that, we, that he can because we have given him the one thing that he cannot, that he doesn't have. He has given us this power over him. You know, every human being has power over God himself. We have the power to say no to God. God is omnipotent and yet he cannot make us love him. He is omnipotent, yet he cannot make us do his will. We have free will and we can choose. We have this power to say yes to God or to say no to him. It is an amazing and frightening power. Yeah, it's a very interesting process, or it's a very inter- interesting design. Uh, I used the word design a while back in, the, in our discussion. It, it's, um, uh, he did not design robots. He designed uh, people with free will, intellect and free will. And, we, uh, we, uh, and he told us, and he sent Jesus to tell us how we should use it uh, for the best results. And um, I think that's what this show has been about, is, uh, you know, uh, if you want the best results, then uh, do the right, put in the work, uh, follow the divine rules that we've been given, and um, the reward will come. Uh, but we have to do our part, and that's really what you're saying with uh, giving up, uh, giving our free will uh, to God, because that's the only thing um, we can give Him. Uh, he doesn't need any of that other junk. But uh, he does need our cooperation through our, our will. And um, that's a good point. I never thought of it that way, but that's an excellent point about um, what we actually can um, give uh, versus uh, what we think we're giving when we, um, you know, think in material terms. That's a very good yeah. point. Actually, you, you just made me think now, too. Even all the good works we can do, which are good, they're good. They're, you know, for the, to, 
to um, to bring about the kingdom of God, to help the kingdom of God grow. All our good works, really, Jesus doesn't need those. He can get somebody else to the work, but he can't get our own free will. That is unique. Nothing we can give to God except our own free will, our love. That's the only thing that we really have that's totally ours that we can give to God. Everything else is really through God's grace, even all the good works we do. God has given us the grace, the talent, the skill, the ability. He's put us in the right place at the right time to get this work done, to help these people out, to do this, this good enterprise, this apostolate, this, all these good things. It's really because of God that we're able to do it. But there's one thing that he cannot do. He cannot make us love him. He cannot take our will against our will. He cannot do that. Exactly. Yeah. 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 A lot of food for thought uh, in today's discussion, I think. Uh, so many avenues to start uh, for anyone to really start to uh, consider some of the things that we've talked about, you know. And um, um, hopefully someone does take the challenge and uh, it'll, it'll lead to a, to a very happy ending. So, um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Maria, uh, I know we've gone um, a little over, but uh, I think it was definitely worth it. And for the uh, final show, it was um, a, a good one. I, I'm going to remember this one because a lot of new uh, concepts and thoughts and different approaches and different ways of thinking about things came out of the last show. I guess we had to get here. Uh, for for the best to, to happen, uh, or at least that's the way I, I'd like to leave the show. What about you? I agree. Yes, I really think that that this show is very good. It's our finale, and um, it's been a really good run. It's been really great to talk to you and to discuss so many things from different points of view. And we come from very different. Besides the male and the female, there's also you have more of a an you have you have an engineering background, whereas. I have more of the of the homemaker, the homeschooler, and it's just very different ways that we come together. And so we're on the same page. We're aimed at the same goal, which is God, but we come to it. And this is what God does with everybody. All the saints were such unique people. They came, they went to God by their own special, unique way. And this is this is the beauty of our Lord and of heaven. God doesn't want copies. And actually that's what um the new blessed, blessed Carlo Acutis that we spoke about last week. That's what he said. God makes us all originals, but some of us become photocopies. We want to be like somebody else. No, God wants each and every one of us to be who he created to be us, totally unique and original, to love him in our own special, unique way. Yes, absolutely. Um, once again, uh, just a great way to kind of sum up everything. We don't have to try to be anybody other than who we were designed to be. We just need to work within um, our own talents uh, uh, through the graces that we're given and um, just you know, keep it simple but keep it real and keep God in the center and... and uh, You'll get there. It's, it's, every path is different. Every journey is different. But we're all going to the same place. And that right there, I think, should inspire everyone 
to 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 make the journey, you know. Exactly. Yes. Great. Wonderful. It has been really great. I'm very grateful to God for everything that He has put into my life with this show, with you, with just really wonderful. So, thanks be to God. Absolutely. Couldn't say it better. Um, okay. Well, with that, um, let's close with a prayer. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. Take care, Maria. It's been great. Take care. Yes, it has. You take care too, Dave. Bye-bye. God bless everybody. Bye-bye. Hello, God's Beloved. I'm Annabelle Mosley, author, professor of theology, and host of Then Sings My Soul and Destination Sainthood on WCAT Radio. I invite you to listen in and find inspiration along this sacred journey we're traveling together to make our lives a masterpiece and, with God's grace, become saints. Join me, Annabelle Mosley, for Then Sings My Soul and Destination Sainthood on WCAT Radio. God bless you. Remember, you're never alone. God is always with you. Thank you for listening to a production of WCAT Radio. Please join us in our mission of evangelization. And don't forget, love lifts up where knowledge takes flight.